0: 18. As one of my very favorite songs. You know, it's really hard to pick. And people say I got a favorite verse or a favorite this or that in the Bible. It's really hard for me to say something like that because I enjoy, I enjoy so, so many different passages. Um, like that one this morning, Matthew 123, well, about uh, Emmanuel, the Lord with us, and that Him—that that, that, you know, was—I love singing that. Well, in Psalm one eighteen, I just want to read a uh, uh, verse uh, nineteen and twenty for now. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter, may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord; the righteous shall enter through it. Um. You know, last week we've been talking about, um, well, all kinds of things really, but mostly about discipleship and following the Lord and so on, and we saw this passage over in Luke 14, and uh, if you want to turn back there, in Luke 14, <coughs> we, <coughs> excuse me, we um, we were, well, we read Actually, two or three things about banquets and this parable regarding banquets and being symbolic of the messianic kingdom and the rule of Christ over the earth and those who would be invited to participate with him in that. And so, in verse 12, he said to the man who had invited him, that is to this banquet, which we saw back in starting in verse 7, uh, he says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, or you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, or others would translate that the resurrection of the righteous. And of course, that's that's what the word just here uh, means so uh, it, it sounds like it might imply to you that there is a special resurrection, you know, just for the righteous. But if we was to, if we were to turn, sorry, we was okay. All you English people, English grammar people, just let that go. Uh, over in Acts twenty four and verse fourteen. Paul was giving his defense before uh, Felix, and in that defense, he made this statement. He says that uh, that regarding that, that he had a hope in God. And I'm going to read something here. That when Paul said that there will be a resurrection of both the just or the righteous and the unjust or the unrighteous, or as actually more than one translation put. Uh, the a resurrection of the wicked so there there is not just a resurrection for just the righteous now of course when the Lord was saying that he wasn't trying to imply to us that there was one but he's just in the context will explain it for itself that the reason why you do the things you do when you're having this banquet and what he was teaching the, his disciples and, and those sitting with him, the Pharisees and all those that were participating in this uh, feast, that there is going to be a resurrection of the righteous. And if, and if you want to be repaid for what you're doing, then this is how you do it. And you don't invite your rich friends and your neighbors and, and you know those who have the ability to repay you. So... Um, what is this matter of righteousness what what I can't even remember how many hundreds of times it's mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament just scores of times and sometimes that has a tendency to dull our senses because we just read right over those things and we don't really pay attention uh, to what Jesus is saying or Paul or David or whoever's speaking about righteousness Moses and we just glance or gloss over it. Um, so if you look up the meaning of that word, in general it just means equity. And equity, if you look in the dictionary, just means to be fair. It means to do just do what's right. And that's the quote supposed to be indicative of the conduct of a believer. And in particular, a disciple. One who has committed himself to to, uh, following the Lord uh, mounts in his uh, lexicon uh, says it means fair and equitable dealing and so we're just talking about our day-to-day activities he's not just talking about business dealings he's talking about when you deal with your neighbors or you know your brothers and sisters in Christ here at church or wherever it might be whatever contact you have out in the marketplace when you're buying food, or a shirt, or whatever, do what's right. That's all that he's saying. Uh, you might remember I uh, I, I used to, I, know, I talk about stuff like that. I used to like to go on the roads when I'd see a hubcap, you know, I just wanted to pick that thing up, an old loose hubcap laying around there. And finally, but over the years, one time the Lord just reminded me, you know, that's not yours doesn't belong to you somebody else owns that thing and they lost it it's not a well, like we used to say uh, finders keepers losers weepers you know that's that's a big lie it's good you found something doesn't mean it's yours so fair and equitable dealing with whoever uh, some other in some other context in Scripture that same word is translated integrity or virtue It's talking about our 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 moral conduct our uh, can't think of the word I want to say but our, our, our up right standing in how we are seen not only before God before the members of our community and those we interact with on a daily basis. Um, and, and if you look in also the dictionaries, has, it's interesting. He says uh, in the dictionary here, one of the definitions of equity is the quality of being fair or impartial. So think about that, to be impartial. That, that could be a hard thing to do. All of us are bent by Persuasiveness. Or we want to give in to certain ones because we favor them or we have emotional feelings towards something something or someone and we want to give in to it you might remember that in in when god was giving the law to israel and he was talking about taking someone to court he said you don't you don't pay any attention to whether the guy's rich or whether he's poor You just do what's right. You act with equity. You deal in justice or righteousness. That can be a hard thing to do. Now, something I didn't even know uh, (laughs) that I had to, uh, I came across this term, chancery. How many have heard about chancery court? Yeah. You know what that is? Me either, Jerry. I didn't know what it was. I I had to read the definition. Chancery court. When you go to law against someone and you are ending up in chancery court, sometimes the law is vague. You don't know which way to go. And the judge's job in chancery court is to do what's right, be fair, be equitable. I didn't know that. That's that's what chancery court is. So the whole idea then uh, of and, and not every word of righteousness in the New Testament or even the Old Testament for that manner uh, is going to follow along with what we're going to say this morning, but what we're dealing with here is how you and I uh, and how God himself looks upon us in this matter of righteousness. You know, one of the first things you probably might want to think of is, is Jesus as he was introducing to his disciples the principles regarding his kingdom was what righteousness is. And you remember, he told them, he says, in, in, in uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I wonder sometimes how much, how much I really hunger or have a thirst, a desire to be righteous, to do what's fair, to always be equitable. I'm, I'm, I'm as probably as guilty as anyone here that you know, you have. I mean, suppose you're dealing with your neighbor and then you're dealing with somebody who lives way across town and they've been, well, I don't know what, in an accident or something. Isn't it easy to want to show favor to your next door neighbor, even if they were wrong? I mean, it's a tendency we have. And God is telling us, put those things away and act with fairness and equity no matter what because it pleases him and a matter of fact he says uh regarding those who hunger and thirst for righteousness he said righteousness he says they will be satisfied and in verse 10 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake doing what's right won't always gain you favor Sometimes people are going to mock you and harass you just because you're willing to take your stand and do what's right. But he says, then, ha, if you do, he says, theirs is the kingdom of God. And what a promise that is. And then, if you go on down to verse 20, you remember he told them that, that he says, unless your righteousness, you disciples, exceeds that of the Pharisees, he says, You will in no way never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you can't even get in. You have to exceed. And they were known, of course, that was they were somewhat the standard of righteousness uh, in the Jewish community. Uh, in, 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 you know, on the marketplace or on the street. And they, were, they were known to be the righteous ones. Well, of course, as we're going to find out, Jesus has a whole other perspective. <clears throat> on what is righteous? Over, he just continue on in chapter six, verse thirty-three. He said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." He says, and all these things he says will be added unto you. So it's something that we are to seek after, As we're going to find out we we are uh, told to pursue it. Uh, so we hunger for it. We're to seek after it. We're to be, in other words seek after hunger for pursue after being fair and just inequitable in those that you deal with that's not always not always the easy thing to do but in acts chapter 10 verse 35 paul said there in every nation in every nation of course he was dealing about gentiles now he said he that fears him and works Righteousness. Even amongst the Gentile nations, there were those who knew the difference about how to deal with equity and justice in their dealings with their fellow man. And he says, it is accepted with him, that is, with God. Um, other translations, like the... the. Uh, well, Robert Ham and Young in their uh, literal translation say, he that acts righteously instead of works righteously. He that is conducting himself in a righteous manner. In Zephaniah, or excuse me, Paul told Timothy in First Timothy 6, as well as in Second Timothy 2, he said for him to pursue righteousness. So it's not something that's automatic. Now, there is a righteousness that we receive, of course, when we receive Christ as our Savior. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about righteousness in our daily conduct, our daily activities, those people that we deal with. And he tells Timothy, pursue it. It's like, go after it. Because this is high on my list of importance. As a matter of fact, it's so high that if you don't have it, he told him earlier in Matthew, he says, You won't even enter the kingdom of God. And so you remember what we just read in Psalm 118. The psalmist's plea was, Lord, open to me the gates of righteousness. In Zephaniah chapter 2, he says there, uh, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness humility by the way you often see meekness and humility going right along with righteousness acting justly and doing what's right and so he says perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord on his day of wrath well the problem was I think we dealt with this last week to some degree the problem was in the Jewish community they didn't seek the lord's righteousness they wanted their own way of doing what's right and so they sought to establish their own their own way of righteousness and luke chapter 10 you might we need to turn over there luke chapter 10 you might remember this is as a uh, this uh lawyer who was uh, asking jesus about and, and by the way, it says he was putting them to the test, and he wanted to know what do I do to inherit eternal life? Now you notice he says, "What do I do?" He recognized that there was something in the way of conduct, in the way of living, that would result in him inheriting life for the coming age—that is, the messianic age. The Messianic Age is the is the time when the Lord Jesus comes to rule over the earth. And that's what the words eternal life mean, literally, life for the coming age. And so there is a, a quality of, or, uh, of life that we can come into possession of if we do what's right now. Well, in the whole matter here, uh he tells him, Jesus says, Well, what do you read in the law and, and uh, how do you read it and so on? And uh, he tells him, uh, and so you come down to uh, in, in verse 29, I think it is. me if I can lose my place here. Yeah, he's, now notice what he says there. He, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. That is, desiring to declare himself righteous. That's what some translations say. Matter of fact, Young's in, in his, uh, well, I'm not going to read that. Uh, just for sake of time, I I need to speed along. But the point of it was, he was one of those who was seeking to establish his own way of righteousness, and um, so he gives him this parable about about the uh the Samaritan on the road, you know, and and uh who was injured and so on. And down in verse um, um, 30, uh, what is that, 36, he says, Which of these three? do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus said to him, well, then you go and do likewise. That is to say, if you want to practice righteousness, do, do as those Gentiles, the, the Samaritan, who stopped to take care. Not only did he bind up his wounds, but he spent a little money on them too. And he took care of it. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 16, just turn a few pages over. Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it says in verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things that Jesus was, was saying and teaching them. And it says they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. That is, you declare yourself to be righteous. You've set your own standard, and, and now you want everyone else to think, well, I'm the standard of righteousness here. And Jesus was taking them to task for this attitude that they had. Young's literal translation again says you are those declaring yourselves righteous before men (laughs) declaring yourselves righteous and uh, the New Living Translation says it uh, similarly but I like the way he says it he says you like to appear righteous in public and that's, that's really what the matter was out in the public marketplace on the streets of Jerusalem or wherever they were they wanted to appear righteous when they were out in public and it wasn't just to be accepted of those on the streets it was to show their superiority to them and that's what Jesus is in a sense he's bringing them down a notch probably more than a notch because of their attitude in Luke chapter 18 he said the same thing he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt and that was the whole point they were holding themselves up to a higher standard than everybody else around them, and uh, if you look down on down to verse fourteen, he says, "I tell you regarding." And of course, well, you know what the passage is here. Um, you know, I got to get turned over to it. Uh, the Pharisee, you know, and the publican or the tax collector, and you know, he told him regarding the, the tax collector. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, being declared righteous, rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Young again says the same thing. This one went down, declared righteous. Humility. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even so much as as look up. But just says beat his breast and said, Lord be merciful to me a sinner. Now I can just assure you, no Pharisee would ever have said that about himself. Sinners were the other people. We were the righteous. Romans chapter 10 Paul said, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, that is the Jews, he says, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the point of it all was, is that God has a righteous standard. It involves meekness, it involves humility, in doing what's right, in acting justly. And they were ignorant of that. They, they rejected it and they determined to establish their own sense their own idea of righteousness now I want to read an extended passage here if you turn to Galatians uh, chapter 3 Galatians chapter 3 because Paul's dealing with this whole matter of God's righteousness and he tells them there um, beginning, beginning in uh, verse 1 He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, I preached the gospel to you, and you believed it. You received it. And let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? exactly what the pharisees were doing they sought their own way of righteousness which was to be perfected by the matter of the flesh doing all sorts of ritual things cleansing remember the washing of hands lord how come your disciples don't wash their hands you know they were rubbing out the grain what's the deal here and he chided them he says for your tradition your man-made tradition and so he said did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain that he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith and of course this is the crux of the whole thing just as abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham and the scripture or seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what happens then? What, what is this whole idea then Abraham, the man of faith? Well, Paul goes on to describe the fact that this faith that Abraham had took place before any works it was before he was circumcised and so he's telling them you Galatians don't you understand that when you exercise faith you were exercising the same faith as Abraham apart from works of the law well if that was the case then why are you going back into why are you devolving into these works of the flesh Why are you? You know, I mean, I mean, I'm just making some things up. You could go on, you know, worshiping God by, you know, having to honor Him on a certain day, (coughs) or observing a certain festival, or a certain ritual, like washing your hands every time before you eat. I was talking to somebody the other day about this whole thing, and and of course, we were discussing, you know, this idea of uh, habit and ritual and so on. And this is more habit than it is ritual. About and so, I asked him. I said, Would, do, you, "Do we have to pray every time and thank the Lord every time we eat?" Do we? Well, of course not. But after being forty-something years as a Christian and being told that, well, we need to thank the Lord, you know, for our food. You know, this sense of guilt comes over you if I don't pray, if I don't thank the Lord for it. And it's hard to get out of those habits when God hasn't set that standard. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be thankful by any means, but it doesn't mean that we have to stop every single time. matter of fact, I heard one guy say, Well, I thank the Lord for our food when I'm pushing the grocery cart down the aisle at the grocery store. And it's all covered then uh well i guess that was good enough for good enough for him so what is this idea then about acting equitably doing what's right being fair as a christian as a disciple of christ what is the outcome well in first samuel chapter 26 and you won't need to turn there because we're going to go kind of fast here but the Lord, you know, David says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, talking about Saul, and I would not put my hand against the Lord's anointed. And because he didn't, the Lord, he says, the Lord is going to reward me for my righteousness. In 2 Samuel, he says essentially the same thing. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Now we know that David has his issues. Adultery, murder, the numbering of the children of Israel, causing thousands to die, but yet, in his heart, he says, "I have not wickedly departed from my God." What that means is, is David repented, and he made things right with God, and he continued to pursue righteousness. He didn't throw his hands up in the air and quit and say, "I give up. This, I just this is too hard to do. I can't, I can't really do it." He continued on. Verse 23, for all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Psalm 18, this is a psalm of David. He says, almost repeats word for word, he says the same thing there, so I won't take time to read that, but in Psalm 33, Says therefore the word of the lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness he loves righteousness and justice he loves it doing what's right being fair treating others you know it's like what jesus said the golden rule treat others the way you want to be treated that's being being just being fair doing what's right Psalm 36, he said, Continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. This is the Lord's righteousness, his faithfulness to those who are upright in heart. Now turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, of course, in the King James, it's the parable of the wheat and tares. If you look up... uh, (laughs) some of the newer translations, they call it the parable of the weeds. Well, that's, that's what tares were, they were weeds. Uh, some say it was probably uh, darnell, which is a, a weed that looks like wheat, and when they grow together, it's hard to tell them apart. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 24, He says he put a parable another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field but while his men were sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away it's harder you stop and think about a farmer going out and sowing wheat in his field but he had this enemy who was probably a neighbor who snuck over there at night and he sowed bad seed, weeds. Well, over in verse 35, Jesus begins to explain this parable because the disciples asked him to. What, what does this mean? And he says, he says he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So that was Jesus. He sows the good seed and he says the field is the world. So you try to imagine a wheat field and that was representation of of the entire world. So Jesus is sowing good seed in the whole world. Then he says, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, but the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil so he goes on then the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels so in other words the wheat finally comes to uh fruition it ripens it's time to harvest the wheat and the farmer goes out to harvest it and there he finds weeds all mixed in with his good wheat and so in verse uh, 40 he says just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so in other words just like the farmer when he goes out and he sees what's going on here he has to go out and he has to harvest the wheat and separate all the weeds from the good and he throws over the weeds over here in a pile and he said then he burns them all up because what good are they they have no value And he says, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. See, there's judgment is going to come upon those who the devil sowed and tried to corrupt the good seed. And he says in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth but notice what he says in verse 43 he says then then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father and he who has ears to hear let him hear down in verse 47 the parable of the next. The kingdom of heaven, he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. That's the same thing he was teaching them about the parable of the wheat. You don't keep them all together. You sort them out and you get rid of the bad. And so, he says, it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so there is a day coming there is a day when the wicked and the righteous will be separated so who are these righteous people well I just want to share a few that the Bible calls righteous obviously the number one righteous person was Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is said to be righteous. <clears throat> and then over in uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, we've seen, looked at these several times, and Zechariah and Elizabeth were said to be righteous. Simeon in Luke chapter 2 was said to be righteous. Joseph of Arimathea, when he came to ask for the body of Jesus after his crucifixion, in Luke 23, in verse 50, says he was righteous. Now in Acts chapter 10, with the centurion, he was said to be righteous. It says he was a devout man. Uh, at, I think it's in verse 1 or 2, but later on, uh, down in verse 22, it says he was a righteous man. So my point is, is that there are those, and there were those in Jesus' day, who lived righteously. Who conducted themselves not according to the works of the law? They lived apart from the law, and they just did what was right because they knew it was what was pleasing and honorable to God. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples the whole time. That's why he, you know, back in again to repeat Luke six or Matthew six thirty-three, when he says, "Seek, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." and it's our duty our job to be diligent you know to uh, to do and to practice god's righteous way of living but not to fall back and lean on works of the law because it's so easy to do sometimes when i get up and say well every day this is how i practice this is what i do every day and i go through this routine and it makes us feel good because we feel like we've done righteously, when in reality that has nothing to do with what pleases the Lord. Um, well, I got it. Oh boy, I don't know. Well, let me just read a couple of verses. I, I we can't go there and read everything I want to, but if you go back to Ezekiel, I think some of you are probably familiar with this passage anyway. Ezekiel chapter 33 and he's, he's dealing with this matter of <clears throat> righteousness and who God considers to be righteous. If you look at verse 12 he says you son of man say to the house of Israel thus have you said surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? God told them well he says tell Ezekiel he says you say to them as I live declares the Lord God I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from their way and live. That's his great desire. It's just to repent. stop what you're doing and do what's right And so he goes on to tell them then he says um, turn back, turn back from your evil ways for why will you die, O house of Israel? And he goes on then to delineate this whole thing about the righteous person. He says that the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. If the righteousness of the righteous will not deliver him when he sins or transgresses, the point of it being, you can deliver you can righteous life all you want to. But if you sin and transgress and you don't repent and you die in that condition, you've heard me say this before, that's the condition you're going to meet the Lord in. And he says, you will not live. And in that context, he's talking about, uh, well, living through the exile and, and being delivered, but also in his kingdom. You will not enjoy or live you remember how we remember what we just saw there and with the with, the, with the, um, the lawyer and the samaritan and he said which of those had mercy and he said well the, it was the the samaritan and he says do this and you shall what live the context is telling us you do what's right and you will enjoy life not only now but in God's coming kingdom because that was an answer to the original question what must I do to inherit life for the coming age the coming age is the age in which the Lord Jesus returns to this earth and corrects all the unrighteousness that's going on among the nations of the world and by the way that includes America so he goes on to tell them then, well, wait a minute. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by his wickedness when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. And though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, then he's not gonna live. That's the whole idea. Trusting in your righteousness And then turning right around and transgressing or sinning and thinking that you're going to get away with it. Boy, oh boy. Did (laughs) did the Pharisees need that message? Well, that's exactly what Jesus... He didn't use these words, but that's what he was saying to them. You're practicing your manner of righteousness, but you're transgressing and doing so by creating your own tradition. And not only that, you're doing great violence to, to, to God's law and remember he nailed them really good about how they would uh, um, they were taking money from their mom and dad. Remember, and they were in need of they were in need of help. And he said what? What the Pharisees tell him. Oh, this is a gift to God. I can't give that to you, I can't help you. And He says you're breaking God's commandment by your man-made tradition, and we're all prone to do such things like that. Well, again, going back to Psalm 118. Excuse me, did I keep that? I think I didn't print that out. Yeah, so we got to turn there. Psalm, turn to Psalm 118, because we got. This is why we're going to finish up right here. Psalm 118. And we read those verses about the psalmist's plea to God when he says, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter them through them and give thanks to the, to the Lord, to Yahweh. What are the gates of righteousness? Where, where, where are those gates found? Those are the gates to his kingdom. This is the way that you enter in to the Lord's millennial rule, that 1,000-year rule over the earth. Now watch what he goes on to say, though. He says, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. I, 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 and the stone that the builders rejected in verse 22 has become the cornerstone. That was, of course, the Lord Jesus. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What is that day? It's probably one of the most misapplied verses in all the Bible. Because we often want to say, well, this, you know, today's the day. This is the day. We will rejoice in this day. No. No, the context there about the gates of righteousness tells us that this day that the Lord has made is the millennial day. It's the opening of the day of the Lord it's when the lord begins to establish his rule over the earth that's the day the lord has made that's the goal that we're seeking after and that's why he's the psalmist is making this plea open to me the gates of righteousness peter told us how to do that in second peter you know he gave us that nice list of qualities Things that we are, virtues that we are to add to our Christian walk, our Christian life. And he says, you do this. And he says, you will have a rich, abundant welcome into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a verse that is tough for me, and I I said I was going to quit with that one, but I'm going to make a comment about this verse. Because this is a hard one. When Jesus said, You're going to be judged for every word that comes out of your mouth. I'll let that one sink in for a while. What does that tell us about the way we conduct ourselves at home? Or in our personal relationships with others, or when we're shopping, or you know, whatever the case may be, every word. That's so so convicting to me. But it's also a motivator. And it moves me. I like really hard for you to say, well, I like, I like to feel like I'm like King David, you know. I, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to seek after and pursue righteousness to the day I die. That's my goal. That's my goal. I trust to be yours as well. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the way you minister to our hearts. God, I pray that your spirit would work in us that manner of righteousness that we need to know and to to walk before and conduct ourselves with in order that we might meet you one day at those gates of righteousness. We pray in your most holy name.